0: everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk ID. I'm Barb Alexander, president of IDSA. Today, I'll be speaking with Drs. Dan McQuillan and Steve Schmidt about ID physician value and compensation. Dr. McQuillan is an ID specialist with Lehigh Hospital and Medical Center in Massachusetts. He's the president elect of IDSA and serves as the board liaison to the Clinical Affairs Committee, as well as on the current physician compensation task force. Dr. Schmidt is vice chair of the Department of Infectious Diseases at Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. He chaired the five-member compensation strike team that the board had convened in February of 2020 um, that was tasked with developing a plan for addressing ID physician compensation. And now he leads the 10-member group whose job it is to move those plans forward. Doctors McQuillan and Schmidt have both served three-year terms as chair of the IDSA Clinical Affairs Committee and on the IDSA Board of Directors. But before we begin our conversations with Drs. McQuillan and Schmidt, I wanted to give you a brief update from the board. You know, it's really hard for me to pick uh, just a few items to share with you, but um, I've chosen three for this session. I I think I've mentioned in the past, or I'm sure I've mentioned in the past, that IDSA has been working with the COVID Collaborative to develop and promote a COVID vaccine education campaign. Um, The Collaborative performed extensive marketing research that showed while Access to vaccines is still currently limited. Among the people who are undecided, the majority want information now in order to address their questions so that they're prepared when the vaccine is available to them. So based on this, the It's Up to You campaign was launched on February the 25th, and it urges audiences to visit the Get Vaccine Answers website for the latest information about COVID vaccines. I just want to emphasize that... um, The scope and reach of this initiative are truly unparalleled. More than 300 community-based organizations, faith leaders, and other trusted messengers have been tapped to help us reach distinct audiences. I would just encourage you to visit the COVID Collaborative website to learn more about the campaign and also to access tools for leveraging your own influential relationships to get information about the vaccine into your specific communities. Now, while we continue advocacy efforts on multiple fronts, the topic that is drawing significant attention right now is the VALID Act, which seeks to redefine regulations for laboratory-developed tests that are used for clinical care. IDSA certainly acknowledges the importance of ensuring patient safety, but we do believe that safety must be balanced with patient access to these high-quality tests for infectious diseases particularly for those less common infections for which overall testing volume is low and for which there are no FDA approved tests on the market. We're actively working to find common ground to build consensus language among organizational stakeholders at this point so that uh, we're prepared as the bill is expected to be introduced into Congress soon. Finally, I want to make sure you're aware that IDSA is seeking applications for five positions on the IDSA Board of Directors that are going to be opening up in the fall. Please help spread the word among your colleagues that the application period is open. Even consider a gentle nudge for um, your colleagues who may have exceptional qualities for the positions, but that may be hesitant to apply. Um, IDSA depends on its members who volunteer their time to serve in leadership roles, and having a broad and robust slate of volunteers helps ensure that we're going to have the diversity and expertise at the leadership level that is so critical for guiding our organization forward. The deadline for application is April 16th, um, so please help spread the word. So now, let's turn our attention to ID physician value and compensation. For for background, you remember that in 2019, we conducted member surveys and interviews as part of the IDSA planning process. And that culminated in our five-year strategic plan. Um, Included in the plan are four major initiatives that we are to address. And one of the four is to quantify, communicate, and advocate for the value of ID physicians to increase professional fulfillment and compensation. I think this initiative is particularly challenging as it requires us to really step outside of our comfort zone and to become self-advocates. While superficially the effort may appear to be self-serving, it's clear that the future of our profession is dependent upon us taking action now. Um, The membership has clearly identified that the lack of individuals entering ID and shrinking compensation and reimbursement uh, are critical challenges. The board has heard this, and along with continuing our COVID-related efforts, we have chosen to prioritize this problem for action this year. So, Dan, since you've been in the meetings as the board has discussed when and how to tackle this initiative, I'm going to start with you. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about the timing of our work on this? Like, why now? Why this year in the middle of everything else that's going on?
1: Thanks, Barb. I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot. Um, as you mentioned, the board developed a five-year strategic plan and it was very clear that the most initiative for our members uh, was to advocate further for their value. And so when we began working through the process and on these initiatives and began to get started on the, uh, the ones that we identified as most important, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And it pretty quickly became clear that significant IDSA staff effort would need to be devoted to our education and advocacy response, because there really was a clear leadership void for scientific and medical uh, trusted information in our country. Uh, it certainly wasn't anything coming out of Washington. So the board identified and staffed up our rapid COVID-19 guidelines committee, and they produced living guidelines for treatment, infection, prevention, and diagnostics in almost like warp speed, but not like the, the, the national warp speed program (laughs) was actually successful. Um, these were, were produced within six weeks of, of starting, which is unheard of, and they're living guidelines that all of our members and non-members have used to guide treatment of all of these patients that, combined with press briefings and clinician Zoom calls, both filled a void and helped to establish both our society and our members as the trusted source of COVID-19 information. About the same time, I got together with uh, a fellow IDSA member, Rochelle Walensky, and we co-authored a study that was published in Annals of Internal Medicine, and it highlighted what we thought was a striking mismatch between where the the, uh, pandemic was going in rural America and where ID physicians weren't. It turns out that at the time, which was in, I believe, May to June, the top quartile of counties with most of the COVID-19 cases were characterized by 80% of them having below average ID physician density or none. Um, And that two thirds of Americans live in the 90% of counties that don't have any ID physicians present. I'm sure all of our members know the central leadership role that we as ID physicians have played in our local institutions and communities uh, in responding to the pandemic. And unfortunately, the skewed distribution of ID physicians that we found in our study basically presage the dramatic surge in cases in rural America. In the background of what we know over the past decade about declining numbers of trainees going into ID, The pandemic really highlighted the urgency for us to act now to grow ID physician value and compensation and try to to really strengthen and reinvigorate our profession.
0: Um, So, Dan, growing our value and ensuring that we receive adequate compensation are certainly important steps to attracting new trainees and, and even enabling those who are you know, finishing up their training with large educational debts to be able to be able now to consider ideas as a viable career option, which actually in turn will help facilitate the growth and development of the ID workforce, which, as you know, is another of our key priorities. But let's dig just a little bit deeper. In addition to compensation, the the initiative specifically also calls for increasing professional fulfillment. Um, we've talked about this critical piece a lot at the board level. Um, can you speak to this?
1: if you only talk about compensation, it can be seen as being incredibly self-serving, which it is in some ways, but compensation isn't the entire piece of of what we're trying to get at. I think the pandemic has, has emphasized that the 24 hour day is not long enough for all the stuff that we have to do. And so one of the pieces that's really important in terms of value and compensation is the non-compensation things that we could argue for and we don't argue for enough. So for instance, uh, if we need, um, we only have two infection preventionists and we really could use four, um, using these techniques that we're going to develop to advocate for that, as opposed to advocate for paying the physicians a certain amount more, could accomplish similar things and might actually be easier to sell to some of the institutions for which we work the ability to make our jobs more fulfilling on a day-to-day basis is almost as important as bumping up the salary level.
0: IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network, timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to COVID19LearningNetwork.org. Um, Steve, let me pull you into the discussion now. Um, So you've been thinking on this issue of ID physician value and reimbursement for a while now. By while, I mean for for many years. Give us some data. What do the data actually show in terms of how ID physicians are paid in in comparison to other specialties in medicine?
2: You know, just to sort of start by echoing one of the things that you said before, um, getting involved in IDSA is really one of the things I like best about my career. Um, And I view it as working and so supporting uh my uh, id friends and heroes like dan and yourself and so many others and it certainly has not been just me uh working on these uh problems there's been a number of folks involved especially out of the clinical affairs committee but it's been uh just recently that we started to take a deeper dive into the compensation tread lines to see where there are gaps uh, between id and other specialties <clears throat> and we've found that it's uh, not just the obvious differences in compensation between cognitive specialists like infectious diseases and some of the more procedural-based specialties where there are big gaps in pay between us and them, but it's also that uh, a variety of specialties have experienced higher rates of compensation growth over the last five years. And uh, and IDs have been relatively flat uh, in terms of compensation metrics compared to other specialties.
0: So we're flat. That's not good. Th- this is not our first attempt at tackling the problem. What initiatives has IDSA actually undertaken in the past to address these problems? You
2: know, we've really been involved uh, in uh, payment policy for quite some time got involved with the AMA CPT uh, and uh, RUC payment policy processes with Larry Martinelli, you know, about 15 years ago, I think, and then Dan and I uh, uh, more recently, and then uh, most, most recently, Ron Devine and John Fangman have gotten involved. We've advocated there for many years for increments in reimbursement and restructuring uh, of the EM coding. Uh, and we've banded together with other cognitive specialties uh, in a cognitive specialties coalition to have a larger advocacy voice on these issues uh, on the Hill. Um, and then um, at, at the Clinical Affairs Committee level, uh, we started to look hard at the concept of ID value in the 2000s, Russ Track wrote uh, a paper about ID value in clinical settings in 2003. And Dan wrote a lovely review of the value of the ID specialist in non-patient care activities in 2008. And so when I joined the Clinical Affairs Committee in 2008, there was already some momentum and strong board support to study ID value. And then that was manifested in 2009 as the formation of the value task force, which I was honored to lead. And and that task force uh, did big data studies that showed uh, our favorable uh, impact on metrics that the payers understand. So morbidity, mortality, length of stay, cost, um, across uh, big samples of the CMS and then later private payer claims data. And it was our hope that this would be parlayed into negotiating tools and some research into ID value. And certainly, the research part has happened. And we've uh, pressed forward uh, using that data increasingly. In addition, there have been a number of other efforts in the society. So uh, through clinical affairs, several of us have been involved in the macro process, looking at ID role in bundled care. There have been guidelines written and a handbook for OPAT. There's a telehealth task force convened to expand opportunity for IDs. Dan took a a good hard look at fair market value for the effort involved uh, in infection prevention, stewardship. We began to advocate at the national level uh, with Congress and with CMS for these as separate work streams, not just lumped together and for these to be mandatory programs to address the antimicrobial resistance crisis. And we've done uh, compensation surveys uh, looking at how we're paid across domains of practice settings and diversity. So this is really more than a decade and a half of continuous effort uh, in this particular area.
0: It is a tremendous amount of work, but. Clearly, um, if the, you know, compensation curves are flat, um, that's not a good thing. um, So that all these efforts combined have still not been enough um, to, you know, address the problem. So with this fresh look, what what major barriers now are you identifying um, that you plan to address this go around? How how is this going to be different?
2: Despite all that effort, we still do have gaps. And we've heard that from the membership. And we've heard that from the compensation surveys. And the board you know, has heard and has made it a strategic priority. And so uh, the compensation strike team was formed, as you mentioned, uh, which was really a planning committee of sorts to guide the efforts going forward. As an aside, I have to say that I'm really proud uh, that this group found time to, to do all of this in the teeth of the pandemic Um, and uh, i have to say that we were really inspired by uh, the herculean efforts of our colleagues out there uh, fighting covid often without appropriate compensation and so some of the concepts that came from that uh, work uh, included first that although we've generated a lot of good value data with those value studies. There's been a real deficit of uh, education and materials uh, around negotiation, especially in a granular fashion across different practice settings and diversity domains. ID docs are really not wired as uh, as self-promoters. And so we need these tools. The other thing that came through, though, that was very interesting is that a very small percentage of ID specialists have their compensation uh, tied uh, to quality. And so you might say, well, why is that important? Well, it turns out that folks who have some portion of their comp uh, tied to quality in a variable fashion had. Uh, about a 4.5 percent difference in comp growth rate compared to folks who did not uh, and, and that's uh, that's not an insignificant margin
0: so so again then what what's going to be the approach from the task force what what direction are you taking to help address this issue?
2: And so you know, as you point out now we've morphed into a task force um, and we've uh, constructed it, Uh, to look like the society uh, within uh, confines of group size. We're a diverse group, and we hope that'll allow us to touch the issues that affect everyone and develop materials that help you no matter where you practice or what you do. Um, And we're expanding the group and breaking into a couple of work streams. One uh, is going to be around negotiation and education, and one's around value-based payment models and contracting. Uh, And we're going to interview ID providers and the stakeholders that we negotiate with uh, administrators, payers, to help us to define ID work effort, find out where the pain points are, and critically, so we can find out what resonates at the negotiating table and in constructing these uh, value-based payment models.
0: Great. Right, so find out from the administrators themselves what they need to hear um, to, to enable us to be more successful. Um, all right, Dan. So I've also heard him um, talk a lot about negotiation. Um, so this is the hard part, right? Let's talk about the art of negotiation and um, position compensation. Why is this so challenging for us?
1: There's a lot of facets to why it is difficult, not the least of which, as Steve mentioned, most ID physicians aren't self promoters, to a great extent, we don't get any education in it as part of our fellowship training programs. So many of the if not most of the graduates coming out of our programs are faced with having to go negotiate or or interview for a job, but without having training in what kind of negotiating skills would be useful and potentially successful. And not really much information about what things you should be thinking about. It's really easy to say you should go to your hospital that you're gonna interview for an ID job and say, well, here's what your infection rates are and I can do this. And here's what your readmissions based on pneumonia are and I can help you this way. It's hard to get that data just coming in. And so the majority of people going into their first ID job whether it's private practice or academics or whatever don't really negotiate their first salary job. And that's that's kind of part of the problem that we face in terms of marketing how we do. There are plenty of infectious disease professionals who are members of IDSA who actually do get paid very well. We're very good as individuals in keeping how we get there secret from others. And we don't share it as well as we should. And one of the key underpinnings of this effort is to make kind of figure out what it is that people that do well do to get there and then use that and take advantage of it so all of us can take advantage of that and by by doing that lift the entire specialty up
0: sounds good so we need to share and uh, share our successes and uh Learn to negotiate. Steve, related to negotiation, what, what are the actual deliverables that we could expect to see coming out of this initiative? And, and do you have any idea when they may be available to us?
2: Sounds like a big job. Uh, and, and I think it is, and it'll be an iterative process. We also have to deliver uh, materials and strategies that are practical for everyone to use. You know, not every infectious disease doc has an MBA and understands those business metrics uh, right off the bat. Uh, so we have to be able to put it in a form that folks can understand and use and in the next several months we'll be bringing forward uh, better definitions of id work efforts so just what does an id fte look like we'll be uh, working to define uh, compensation structures and levels across various practice settings and so this is a very important piece is to get some of that granularity because we're certainly not a one-size fits all specialty and using uh, that information the results from these key informant uh, interviews i think we can expect to see uh, beginning in the fall a series of resources including things like practice briefs case studies education around work effort identifying barriers what are some of the facilitators of success what are best practices What are uh, approaches to increasing your comp across practice settings and diversity? We want to develop tools for all to use in negotiation.
0: Something that you said about defining or at least standardizing an ID FTE certainly resonates. I think it's a very important piece of the puzzle that will allow us to at least start from the same baseline in terms of what an expected workload is. Dan, I've heard it said that if there are no ID docs and salaries aren't rising, by definition, there's no demand. Uh, So basically, hospitals don't think they need ID physicians because our services can be replaced in a number of different ways. So in other words, we're not valued. (laughs) How do we change this paradigm to enable our success with value-based contracting?
1: It is a a difficult problem. Um, And I do think, as Steve has mentioned, it's going to be a process process although we've compiled a number of really well-done research publications demonstrating clinical value, that hasn't been enough, as we've mentioned. And also being involved in the AMA Medicare process to value um, E&M codes and other procedures, we've had some success, and we've had success with CMS advocating directly and also on the Hill, but it's clear that we haven't moved the needle enough. And I think that isn't really through the fault of us not advocating for it. It's just that the fee for service resource-based payments, they're skewed in in favor of procedural specialties. And there's not really any way we as a a specialty, even with other cognitive specialties are gonna be able to change that. We need to do a better job of aligning our systems values. In other words, what the people that run our medical institutions or systems to more of the things that are important to them um, population health metrics metrics that are important to hospitals so that they survive and one of the main objectives of this task force efforts are to again take advantage of members success in this area and then leverage those into concrete negotiation tools for our members idsa is going to continue advocating for the value we bring in our day-to-day activities and those activities are definitely influencing opinion and helping drive conversations. I've found that in advocating on the Hill when I, when I talk to um, uh, staffers in congressional offices, they're well aware of that. Um, and that makes it a little bit easier for us to advocate for ourselves in those settings as well. The pandemic has really highlighted how we're a critical component of being prepared for the next pandemic. We aren't necessarily the people that provide all the primary bedside care, but we sure as heck do influence that and influence how it happens in our uh, hospital systems. And we've been a big part of our systems getting through this in a financial way as well, better than they would have without us.
0: So Steve, what are the actual value-based contracting deliverables that we can expect to see from the task force then?
2: Right. So we'll be looking again in the fall to roll out some uh, guidelines and uh, discussion tools on value-based contracting, really looking at the various combinations of market and practice dynamics. And, And that really is to include picking and identifying appropriate metrics that IDs can influence. So, you know, Dan talked about that value that we bring in in pandemics. And so it's for us to find those metrics that we can influence in the hospital in pandemic and other situations to consider when we're engaging in these value-based arrangements. And again, across a variety of, of interactions, hospital administrators health system administrators, academic medical center administrators, third-party payers. Those sorts of tools is what we'll be looking to bring out this fall.
0: All right. Well, it looks like we're about out of time, but um, I just want to thank both of you for speaking with me today. Clearly, we have a critical but difficult, and I would even venture to say delicate issue that we're trying to address. Uh, Our profession, and, and frankly, the health of the nation, depends on it. It seems that the pandemic is fortuitously increasing awareness of the value of ID physicians to the public, administrators, and policymakers, and so hopefully now the work that you guys are doing through the task force will further equip us for success this time around. Thank you so much for joining me.